two things I want to particularly talk to you about this morning. One is um, the ways to deal with the, the sort of enemy attack. Um, and we're going to look at some scriptures to, to help us because you remember the Bible tells us that everything given in the Bible is for our edification, our instruction, our comfort. So it's very important that we, we actually delve into that uh, and, and learn things from that. So ways to deal with attack, but also as part of that, understanding the kind of ways or wiles of the enemy so that we don't get sort of hoodwinked, uh, so that we're wise to that. Um, there are two particular things I want us to get hold of today. And to help us, um, we'll be looking at 2 Kings 18, maybe straying into 19, and 2 Chronicles chapter 32. The reason for that is, so often in the Old Testament, you get parallel accounts of things. And uh, it's useful sometimes to draw from both, both accounts. So, does that seem okay? No? Yes. Oh, good. Okay. All right, so we're going to start off uh, in 2 Kings uh, chapter 18. I'm going to read uh, some of the scriptures for you because we'll be sort of dancing around between the two things. And uh, that may therefore be more helpful. But remember that we're looking at ways to deal with the attack of the enemy and understanding some of the, the sneaky ways that he uses. Uh, so that we can particularly, and I'm particularly focused on, uh, and I want you to tune into this, where you feel um, something, a battle, problem, an issue has gone on for an extended time. Will it ever come to an end type of thing? And a key element I really want you to get hold of this morning, and I'll come to that in a minute, So I'm reading from 2 Kings um, 18. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old at the time. when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. As his father had done, he removed the high places, he smashed down the sacred stones, He cut down Well done. He cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made. For up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. 
There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and didn't stop following him. I'm going to move back, I'll be safe. (laughs) He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses. And the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. (laughs) There were problems, there were difficulties, there were attacks. Hear me clearly. Not always because we've done something wrong. Not always because it's our fault. In fact, very clearly says, if we look at the version in 2 Chronicles, after all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah after everything that he'd faithfully done. He was facing problems, difficulties and attacks. We need to see the dimension of these things. It's too easy to just look at them in a natural realm, in a natural way. Oh, I must have done this, said this or forgotten to do the other. We need to be a people who catch hold of what is it that's happening. God calls us and equips us to be a people of sightedness. That is to see beyond the natural so that we understand what we're dealing with. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified cities. to conquer them for himself. When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to wage war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his officials and military staff. about blocking off the water from the springs outside the city. And they helped him. 
they gathered a large group of people who blocked all the springs and the stream that flowed through the land. Why should the kings of Assyria come and find plenty of water? Then he worked hard repairing all the broken sections of the wall and building towers on it. He built another wall outside that one and reinforced the terraces of the city of David. He also made large numbers of weapons and shields. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Just look at that a minute. siege situation what do you think about when you think about a siege something that goes on something that restricts forward movement are you restricted in forward movement are you restricted in getting free from some particular issue limitation Maybe kind of bogged down, worn down. Maybe it's, it's not something physical, it could be anxiety, it could be just something in your thought life that you just can't get free of. Constantly thinking about some issue that took place or some thing that's been done against you or what may happen. Maybe there's an attitudinal thing that you just, it seems to go on. And in many things you, you can kind of get free, but that's just always there, lurking in the background. I believe what we're hearing from God, what God is saying to us in these days, this is a time of ending of siege. A time when we can expect the supernatural power of God to enable us to walk out free, head held high, nothing holding us back, able to walk in his way. True, there was resistance. Hezekiah refused to give ground. He took steps in order to actually resist. He wasn't just going to lay down and say, oh, well, it's, you know, it's going to happen, so what, what can we do about it? There was an attitude somewhere birthed within him that says, there is a hope, there is a possibility, there is a difference. There is something that can change. Do you know where that comes from? That does not come from the enemy. That is sown into our hearts and lives by God himself. It's the God of hope, by the power of the Holy Spirit, who places that hope within us. We looked at that recently. 
And that is the very thing that God calls forth and nurtures at such a time as this. Something interesting that he did also, and I particularly want to highlight this to you. First of all, I believe that God is, is speaking particularly to things that have dragged on. To actually call an end and a completion and a freedom and a victory. But there's another thing. Notice what he did. He consulted with his officials and military staff. He refused to accept this, don't let them know that you're anxious. Don't let them know that you're worried about this. Don't let them know that you're fearful about Sennacherib, king of Assyria. What did, what did he do? Right there, he destroyed one of the favorite tactics of the enemy. One of the favorite tactics of the enemy is keep it quiet, keep it to yourself, keep it covered, keep it hidden. See, the enemy deals in darkness, deals in the occult, something which is covered. God says if we confess our sin, if we confess our need, if we bring it to the open, we destroy that primary tactic. Don't let anybody know. Keep it hidden. Keep it secret. And we walk, we walk right into the enemy's territory at that point of that darkness and that coveredness. How many times have you heard people say, I chose to say, we even heard it today, I chose to say, I chose to bring out this thing, I chose to bring it before God, I chose to share with those who care for me and love me and will stand with me. You notice what one of the things that Claire said, how grateful she was for the people that would come and she could tell and say what she wanted, whether it's to Phil, but to friends as well. And when she was kind of struggling with something, that ability for others to be able to bring God's word of encouragement, the principle of confession of need, is there in the scripture, guys. What does the Bible say? Ask, and it shall be given to you. Knock, and it will be opened up. See, the, the, the principle of confession of need is right there in the Bible. If any are sick amongst you, let him call for the leaders. See, it's, it's a, a strategy, whether you might, probably a tactic, that the enemy would have us go one way, and God has declared it should be another way. And thankfully, in order to do that, in a community such as this, God has given us close, loving relationships. People who will never take an advantage when they see our weakness. People who are there to stand with us and to support us. Because actually God never intended that we make it on our own. God intended that we should be part of a body. A body that care. People who won't take the things that we struggle with and, and then in some wicked way use them against us. We don't have to make it on our own. So you cut off the water supply. Let's not make the enemy comfortable. You know, 
There may be some inroads there, but my oh man, oh, and make the enemy comfortable. Well, what do you mean, make the enemy comfortable? All right, let's think about what does, what makes the enemy come, what makes him feel at home? Lies, criticism, negativity, bad attitude, lack of unity, believing his lies. That, all of that leads to a fear and a rejection. And of course, if we focus and feature on the negative as against confessing the truth, what's he doing? Rubbing his hands. I got them trapped now. Remember, part of the purpose of today is that we understand the ways or the wiles of the enemy. Um, and we learn to see how to deal with things for the particular purpose, not of having some knowledge in our head, but having some action that we can cooperate with God in these times of significant uh, healing and release. I think a number of times recently, we have been encouraged from different things that different ones have brought about deciding not only to believe what God says, but to actually declare that as against kind of going over and over on the issue, the problem, the negative aspect of what we're seeking to deal with. We also see that he did what he could. He strengthened the weak places. Any unconfessed sin, any competitive attitude, any pride, things that, that, that are weak places, um, the sort of place that the enemy can get in and just turn it a little bit into something which is destructive. I suppose it's a good idea to fix the roof while the sun's shining. Sometimes we, we may be completely overwhelmed, but he brings a break in, in the cloud and we're responsible and have the opportunity to stand up and make decisions and not sit back as, as kind of uh, victims in, in the crisis. I always find it very interesting, and we often refer to this when we're talking about giving thanks for, for children, but how, how much, and by the way, how much society has picked, on the, picked up on the idea that there are those who are just victims. God does not have victims. He has people who are equipped to be triumphant in him. He never consigns anyone to the kind of victim class. His power is to set us free. His power is to cause us to be triumphant and to live in the way that he calls us to live exactly by his power. So they built additional walls and strengthened the strengthening of brotherly love, the strengthening of community is the same as building additional walls. Do you understand? The more we love one another, the more we share life with one another, the stronger community is. The more the very things we've just talked about are able to be worked through in terms of standing together, hearing God together, uh, 
being faithful one to another in not only times of crisis, but times of life in general. Let's carry on in the story. He appointed military officers over the people and assembled them before him in the square at the city gate and encouraged them with these words. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. I just want us to to just pause on that a moment. (laughs) A greater power with us than with him. A greater power with us than with the enemy. I think so. Yeah? That's the very thing the enemy doesn't want us to believe. The enemy wants us to believe we have a big problem and a little God. The truth is we have a big God and by comparison it's a little problem. Mm. For with him is only the arm of flesh But with us is the Lord our God to help us to fight our battles. And the people gained confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. He spoke encouragingly. That is, encourages, put courage in. It's one of the things that the Bible says we can do for one another. You realise that? We can actually put courage in. God can do it, but he often uses us to put courage in, to encourage one another. And interestingly, it wasn't a kind of how-to-do-it battle plan. Seven easy steps to overcoming. This was coming back to rely on the power of God. Because with, it, with us is greater than he that is with the enemy. Sometimes we're in danger to think, well, if we get the right plan, we can do it. But God in his word encourages us to realise, no, we can't, but in Christ I can do all things. We're coming back to fundamental truths here so that we, we cannot live with the excuse, well, it was too hard. Well, it was too painful. Well, it had gone on for too long. Well, it was too... None of those actually stand up against the truth of the Word of God. See, sometimes we can't even see the steps to take. But even when we can't see the steps, we can still trust. Remember what Hans was sharing with us last week about uh, obedience and following God and being focused on God even in the crisis, even when things, and he was using those examples from Hebrews, when things don't work as we would want them to work. For some there was not what we would say a happy outcome, for others there was a positive outcome. You might not be able to see the steps, but it still doesn't stop us actually trusting. Later, when Sennacherib, king of Assyria, 
and all his forces were laying siege to Lachish. He sent his officers to Jerusalem with this message for Hezekiah, king of Judah, and for all the people of Judah who were there. This is what Sennacherib, king of Assyria, says. On what are you basing your confidence that you remain in Jerusalem under siege? When Hezekiah says, the Lord our God will save us from the land of the king of Assyria, he is misleading you to let you die of hunger and thirst. Did not Hezekiah himself remove this God's high places and altars, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before one altar and burn sacrifices on it. Do you not know what I and my predecessors have done to all the prophets, all the peoples of the other lands? Were the gods of those nations ever able to deliver their land from my hand? Who of all the gods of these nations that my predecessors destroyed has been able to save his people from me? How then can your God deliver you from my hand? (laughs) Now do not let Hezekiah deceive you and mislead you like this. Do not believe him, for no God of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or the hand of my predecessors. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? Sennacherib's officers spoke further against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. The king also wrote letters ridiculing the Lord, the God of Israel, saying this against him, just as the gods of the peoples of other lands did not rescue their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not rescue his people from my hand. Then they called out in Hebrew, to the people in Jerusalem who were on the wall to terrify them and to make them afraid in order to capture the city they spoke about the God of Jerusalem as they did about other gods of other peoples of the world the work of human hands Look at these tactics. What's the enemy doing? Number one, is verse 10, is undermining confidence. Can you really think that God will do this? Guys, if you ever hear that word, know it for what it is. See it for what it is. Don't give it brain space. Don't give it thought space. Is God able, the creator of the whole universe, the king of glory? Is he able? Can he do it? 
that undermining of confidence. And then, here's an interesting little one, throwing doubt on the integrity of the leader. You see, they're just doing this for their own ends. This is verse 11. Just doubting the integrity. Now, I'm not saying everybody who ever leads is perfect, but I'm saying we can't live in the doubt of integrity. If it's something to be challenged, it has to be challenged. We utterly believe and committed as followers of Jesus Christ to integrity. Then he goes on again to describe all his victories. Look at all what I've done. Look at what I've achieved. How many times does the enemy like to say, see all the people that didn't get healed? See all the ones that are still struggling with this problem or that problem? See the ones that uh, are hungry or the ones that are suffering? How often? What is the, the, one of the biggest objections that you hear come to you when you talk about the Lord? Well, what about all the suffering in the world? I don't, I've never had anybody say to me, what about the sun shining? What about food growing? What about irrigation? What about anything positive? What about the fact that I've got oxygen? What about the fact my heart still beats? What about the fact I can draw my next breath? I've never heard that because it comes from a demonically inspired position in a very, very real way. And then he questions God's ability uh, in a very real way. Now, of course, the purpose of uh, speaking in Hebrew didn't need to speak in Hebrew because uh, the people they were speaking to fully understood the Aramaic. But the people that were alongside, they wouldn't have understood that, but they heard and understood Hebrew. So he's trying to create the maximum amount of fear by spreading to the maximum number of people and communicating in the most positive or in the most uh, powerful way uh, so that people are drawn into his fear thing. And he goes on. Oh, of course, he then does his final thing. He's, he's, he speaks of God as though, yeah, well, there's God, but there's all these other gods as well, just one amongst many. Whereas the truth is, there is but one God. Amen? Amen. One God. Jumping over to Kings, um, the version there. Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses. 2,000 horses, yes. If you... If you can put riders on them, how can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials? Even though you're depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen. Furthermore, I've come to attack and destroy this place. Sorry, furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this place <laughs> without word from the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. Then 
Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, and Shebna, and Joah, said to the field commander, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew, in the hearing of the people. But the commander replied, Was it only to your master that you and my master sent me to say these things? And not to the people sitting on the wall, who, like you, will have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine. It gets a bit vivid here, so we'll move on quickly. No, don't, don't, don't do that bit. Okay. <laughs> then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, Hear the word of the Lord, the great king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not listen to Hezekiah. Do not listen to Hezekiah. He's basically just um, expanding on the undermining of the leader. Let me just track back a moment to look at that. I wouldn't have come, this is the enemy saying, I wouldn't have come if God hadn't told me. (laughs) The devil is a liar from the beginning. It's nothing for the devil to quote scripture. It's nothing for the devil to say, God has sent me. And then this enticing thing. Make peace with the enemy. Compromise. Enticing. Look, don't make an issue of this. It's just a little thing. Uh, Anyway, it's in the best interests of everybody. An enticing thing. God does not empower us to compromise with the enemy. He empowers us to conquer the enemy. Compromise is not something that is, as far as God is concerned, acceptable. When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes... and put on sackcloth went into the temple of the Lord he sent this is God sent Elikim the palace administrator, Shebna the secretary and the leading priest all wearing sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah (laughs) (laughs) to the prophet Isaiah son of Amos they told him this is what Hezekiah says this day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace as when children come to the moment of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of the field commander whom his master, the king of Assyria, sent to ridicule the living God, and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant that still survives. When King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah... 
Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Ah, now we're coming in to what God says. We've heard all what the enemy says. And you can imagine their ears are kind of, hmm, we need to catch hold of this. And we're no different today, guys. We need to catch over, catch hold of what God is saying. Because there's a huge welter of alternative voices that are bombarding us from the world around about us, from the media, from popular ideas. We must be a people that hears and knows what God says in the situation. It's absolutely critical for us. When King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you've heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with the sword. When the field commander heard that the king of Assyria had left Lachish, he withdrew and found the king fighting against Libna. Brutal. Now, Sennacherib received a report that Tirakar, the king of Cush, was marching out to fight against him. So he again sent messengers to Hezekiah with this word. Say to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them? The gods of Gozan, Haran, Rezeph, and the people of Eden, who were in Tel Azar? Where is the king of Hamath or the king of Arpate? Where are the kings of Leah? Sephar, Vaham, Hena and Ivor. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Let's look at the four steps that he did. Yeah, Number one, he turns to the Lord. Absolutely key. Because he needs to hear what God is saying. So he turns to the Lord. Secondly, he hears, I'm saying hears. By that I mean takes in, pays attention to, takes note of. It's not just a hearing a voice. He hears... God through the prophet. We have sought as a community to always be led and directed by the word of the Lord. Much of what we're engaged in today comes because of directional words from God. I would always want that to be the case. 
We turn, we hear God through the prophet. Then he receives the word of the Lord. What does he do? Verse 14. He takes it and lays it out before the Lord. Before he's going to get into a kind of uh, serious state about it, he's saying, this is what the enemy's saying. I'm coming to you, Lord, to see what you're saying. I'm coming to receive your word. I'm coming to hear what you have to say into this situation. Let me encourage you, brothers and sisters. There are times when we hear or face all sorts of challenging things. You heard the testimony from Ficaret earlier on. Pretty disturbing. You know? Is he going to be deported? Is he going to be prosecuted for not paying his tax? There's a point in time when we can embrace that and it really can have a negative effect. But there's at the same point in time the opportunity to do what they did. They took it, even in written form, and laid it out before the Lord to see what God had to say. Turn to the Lord, they hear God through the prophet and they do what only God would say. So then let's have a little look at God's deliverance before we, before we finish. Um, there's a full version in 2 Kings 19, 21 to 31. But I'm just going to pick up the last bit because I love this bit. It's one of my favourite bits. This is God speaking to the enemy who has boasted of his strength, has given an account of all the things that he'd achieved in the past in defeating um, the people of God, uh, in defeating and having his way in all the nations around, who was expressing what he's going to do. But this is what God says. I know where you are. I've got your door number. I know you, buddy. I got you marked. That's my translation. All right? This is what God says. But I know where you are. This is God speaking to Snakerib. I know when you come and when you go. Brothers and sisters, our God has the upper hand, He has the knowledge, He has the intel. He knows exactly where things are. I know when you come and when you go. I know how you rage against me. Because you rage against me and because your insolence has reached my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will make you return by the way you came. That's what God's going to do. God constantly speaks about what he's going to do prior to doing it. Now, there's a prophetic element in this that I don't really have the time to draw out now, which is very, very interesting. It's God's answer. And God's answer comes in the form of a promise and a sign. And I'm saying to us this morning, just picking up on the word of God, what God is saying to us in these days, that God will do it. Yes? 
Can you say that with me? God will do it. He's utterly trustworthy. I believe it's a time for the ending of siege, a time of release, a time of restoration, a time when even longer-term things, they may be little things, they may be bigger things, but they've gone on because those things wear down, they undermine. You know, sometimes it's more difficult to deal with something which is long-term, even less dramatic, than it is that sudden issue or onslaught that comes. Time of release. Time to take up our rightful role and place and be freed of the bondage. Whether it's being intimidated by others or by ourselves, about responding to God, to the voice of God. Time to now lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of us. Philippians 3 verse 12. That there are things which God has ordained and laid hold for us and it's a time to actually seize that and bring that into being. Time to repent of the fear of man because we really only want the fear of God. Hmm. Let me just deal with this one last thing. Yeah, I've heard it before. I've tried before. Always remember that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time and he chose to respond to it. The merciful God knew every morning were his mercies. Sometimes it's the, not just the second time, the hundred and second time. But that's the nature of the mercy of God. God is looking to release and equip a people that are not trying to fight with one arm tied behind their back. God will do it. God will restore and fulfill the inheritance that he calls us to. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you empower us to make a choice. We choose to receive your word of truth. We choose to bring to nothing the lie of the accuser. It can never change. It's always going to be. We make that choice. We ask, Lord, as we make that choice that you will do what you always promise to do. As we choose your way, you empower us to believe it. You empower us to live in it. And we ask now, Lord, that this day, this day, this time, would indeed be the ending of siege. Just as we're before the Lord, let me encourage you. I really underline with you the issue of dealing with the secrecy element because the enemy can have us locked up in that. That's an action. The second, and probably the most important thing, are you identifying before God 
as we sit here in his presence, something which is equivalent to a siege in your own life. It may be, as I said, thought life. It may be an attitude. It may be an unforgiveness. It may be something you're struggling with. Maybe something that's been done to you or about you. But it just kind of lingers there. Maybe a particular illness. Particular anxieties, fears. And as we've talked and shared the word of God today, you said, I can identify with siege. And I choose, by the grace of God, that this day would be the, the ending of siege. I'm now choosing to declare before God, this is the day that the siege ended. This is the day. The letter has been laid out before the Lord. God has spoken. This is a time of the ending of siege. This is a time of release. This is a time of, uh, of freedom from that bondage, whether it's in the mind or in the body. Just hold up before the Lord right now and declare before him, I choose by your power this day to now lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me, that I might walk in the fullness of what you've had and I will testify to the glory of God. Amen? Yeah?